Well, hello everyone. This is uh, Esther chapter 5, part 4. And uh, we're going to continue on uh, applying this to our lives in terms of how, um, what kind of characteristics we must exhibit and also things that we want to avoid in our lives so that we can be used by God mightily. Uh, the first uh, three, then, in terms of we, when we want to be in life, I've uh, shared this verse, we want to be bold, uh, we want to be humble. Then yesterday we talked about being flexible. And we see all the all three of these exhibited in the, in the scene in chapter in Esther chapter 5 with Esther, where uh, she was bold to go to the king and even standing in front of the courts when it was not permitted to do so, uh, because the consequence of that is death. But she did it because she understood that um, there, was some, there was something beyond her life, her lives were at stake, so she was willing to go calculate a risk that would pay off later on in this book. And uh, second, she was humble. You can see that in the way that she conducted herself. She wasn't barging in and she wasn't demanding or anything, but in her conduct even and even the way that she dressed, it was uh, intended uh, to show honor to the king uh, so that she can have influence and an <coughs> audience with him. And then yesterday we learned about flexible, being flexible, and uh, we see that in the scene where she was eating with both Haman and uh, and the king, King Ahasuerus. And uh, after their meal, or during their meal, he asked Esther, "What did they want? What did she want?" And she tells him she wants another meal with them, another banquet. Um, and, and again, I think I didn't really highlight this later, but a banquet is not like the, I think when we think of banquet. It is exactly what you think the word means. It's not like a tea time thing, although sometimes it's seen that way because it doesn't describe uh, all the food there. But it's like a huge feast. And um, and I think maybe this is a tactical thing that Esther did because if you recall back in chapter 1, that's how the king uh, was able to be manipulated or be swayed into making decisions. It's just through the meal. And the, I guess the doorway to this man's heart is through the stomach. Uh, so... Uh, he Esther requests another meal with the both of them, and then we see this little transition from moving from Esther to now focusing on Mordecai, uh, and we talk about what not to be. And the first one we talk about is anger. Uh, he Mordecai had uh, had a, had a meal with the with the king and the queen, uh, but he was upset because there was just one Jew in his life. Uh, that did not give him the respect that he deserved, and it, and it said that he became angry at, at him, and that anger clouded his objectivity uh, to the point where uh, it brings him to his downfall. And we even drew some applications that, from there that uh, if you want to be used by God, you want you don't want to be someone that's filled with anger. Uh, that's not the um, the attitude of Christian. This isn't to say that Christians can't be angry. Uh, we have, uh, we're called to be angry, angry, but do not sin. And there are even rightful things for us to be angry about, uh, particular things that are against God's word. Um, but if our character, if if the things that describe us most as someone that's just constantly at rage with people like, and against people, uh, that shows that they're either you're not saved or you don't understand. Um, that this is not the way that Christians are supposed to act. Uh, the verse that I talked about, I highlighted multiple times yesterday, was on James chapter 1, verse 20, where the, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And that's true. You cannot expect to do 
what's uh, pleasing to the Lord if you're filled with anger. So today we're going to focus on the last two. We're going to focus on two attributes that you don't want to have in your life. Um, and this uh, second one is proud. In a lot of ways, this is a, uh, it's almost like a repeated point from what you want to be, which is humble. But uh, the reason why I'm using this is because you can see uh, the dangers of being proud. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, Haman begins to recount to his wife and his friends all that he's accomplished. And I always thought it was funny in chapter 5, verse 11, where it says, Then Haman recounted to them the glories of his riches, the numbers of his sons, and every instance where the king had magnified him and, sh- and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Um, and I, I guess that the second one's funny, like he's boasting about the son- numbers of his sons to his wife, which is kind of, you know, it's hilarious because it's like his wife knows that how much kids he has because she's the one who gave birth to them. Um, but you'll notice in this list, though, Things like uh, recounted the wealth, uh, the the glory of his riches. He's talking, he's bragging about his wealth and his children. Uh, and he's basically bragging about his family. Uh, he talks about how the king has promoted him. He's talking about circumstances and then even uh, his status in terms of how he's promoted to be above the prince and all the servants of the king. Uh, these are all different categories that I think we, in subtle ways in our lives, promote, uh, where we brag about. Um, we like to uh, speak of our wealth sometimes, but like maybe not in terms of like bank account number, like how much money we have in our bank account. But sometimes we brag about the job that we have, the prestige that our that the job brings. Um, when it comes to family, sometimes we, we uh, I think this is a temptation for me when I talk when I like talk about my kids. I'm really thankful for them, and sometimes that can uh, lend itself to bragging about uh, my kids as opposed to seeing them as a the gift from the Lord. Uh, uh, they don't belong to me in that sense. I'm a steward over uh, my own children. Um, and for other one thing, other things like uh, circumstances, every instance where the king had magnified him. It's some people, some of us are, are, are we brag about our life circumstance. We brag about things that go on in our life. Instead of praising the Lord, we think about how, oh, it's all about what I have done and all the things that Put place myself in positions where I can uh, get into high places and be recognized for things. And lastly, the status. Sometimes we brag about our, our position, whether it's in church or outside the, the church. We talk about where we are in, in, in social standings. Uh, we like to be recognized. Uh, when I was in LA, uh, when I was actually even in LA, when I was in seminary, college, and going to Grace Church, one of the things that you realize when you're in LA is that that LA culture. It's different from San Francisco, San Francisco culture. San Francisco culture tends to be very like relaxed, and it's like where the home of where the hipsters are. Like all of the uh, new fads usually come from places like San Francisco. But LA is a place where it's very shallow, and what I mean by that, it's a place where um, a lot of people, especially if you're really into like the celebrity culture, you tend to be very vain. Uh, I remember when I was in college, there were people that wanted to be in the entertainment business, even people that were going to Grace Church. Uh, and what I noticed, the people that want to be like, I don't know, actors or singers, is they tend to talk a lot about themselves. You know, uh, we'll be having a conversation randomly, they'll just say something like, oh yeah, I had this lunch with this uh, celebrity, and uh, you know, this celebrity is like this and this, not really like the way the tablet is, and they just keep talking about their interaction with all these famous people, and it's, it's always weird, because it's kind of like, well, hey man, the question I asked you wasn't about the celebrity, it was just, what do you want to eat for lunch? 
And you'll notice that those people that are in that culture just loves talking about their connections and the people that they know and the, the jobs that they have and just love that culture. They love talking about themselves. Um, and, we, and we may be people that, although we may not strive to be like a, a celebrity or whatever, but there are different ways in which we brag about ourselves. Um, whether it's uh, we want pe- more likes on our Instagram or more people to f- that follow us on Twitter or whatever it may be. Um, there are different ways in which we try to elevate ourselves. And it's a hindrance against the gospel. You can't expect to be used by God if you're a proud person. Because how does a proud person evangelize? You know, Usually though, they might even have hints of the gospel in there, but oftentimes you'll hear that a proud person, when they share the gospel, they talk a lot about themselves and what God has done for them. Um, which again is not wrong, because yes, God changes us, and we want to share how we were uh, we were dead in our sin, we're raised to life. But you'll notice that as as you as a person keeps talking about the gospel, they make Jesus into either some sort of like um, supplement into their lives. Like they don't see like Christ as the center, but more like oh, because I have Jesus, my life is so much better now. Or they make uh, the gospel seem like a workspace type salvation. Um, they make it seem like, well, I overcame all of these things because of Jesus Christ. Um, and again, these things are fine, but that's not the main point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is about Jesus dying for your sins. It's his work that we look to. It's he is the one that we're, uh, we're proud of. He's the one that we're thankful for. He's the one that we talk about, not our own selves. Um, it's not about you. Um, <clears throat> but yet, in our own pride, we will always we will have a natural tendency to lean uh, towards praising ourselves. Um, we need to be less about ourselves and more about uh, talking and being thankful to the Lord. Uh, we need to be like John the Baptist in a sense. You know, John the Baptist decreased while Jesus increased. Um, and the, and, the, and the, the Bible over and over again speaks of the dangers of, being, of having a proud heart. Proverbs 16, verse 5, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Proverbs 16, verse 19, It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. Proverbs 21, verse 4, Haughty eyes and proud heart, the lamp of a wicked is sin. And we know James 4, 6, uh, is a very famous verse in that, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Christian, you and I are called to be people that are humble. Again, this isn't like um, like that uh, Eeyore in, in in Winnie the Pooh. It's not about like it's always self-loathing and thinking lowly of yourself, but having an accurate view of yourself. All of your money, all your relationships, all of your your work, your status, all the things that you have, it's from the Lord. It's given to you by God as a stewardship for you to enjoy, but ultimately to, to reflect who God is. Um, when you have money, you want to be generous because our God is generous. Uh, when you have a family, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of, of Christ and the church. When you work, you show that our God is a provider, at the, and at the same time, we show we, we're good stewards of it. Um, when you have a status, and you're, if you're in a high position, you understand that the reason why you're there is because the Lord placed you there. All the things that we have is from the Lord, and we're called to be a, a good steward of it, because we need to give an account of it. Um, but if you're a proud person, 
you're you're not going to be used by God because the focus will be less about less about the Lord and how He's using you, and more about your own self um, abilities and your own talents and skills. Um, and it obscures the gospel. It makes uh, people not look to Christ but look to you instead, uh, and that's the danger. A proud person wants people to be like them, as opposed to be like our Savior. Instead, we should, instead of being proud of ourselves, we need to be proud of our Lord. Second Corinthians one verse, <coughs> chapter one verse twelve, it reads: For our proud confidence is this the testimony of our conscience, that is in the holiness and godliness of Savior, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. Uh, so, if you want to be used by God mightily, you need to not first be angry, second be proud, and lastly, don't be someone that's discontent. Don't be someone that's discontent. At the end of uh, chapter five, verse thir- or the beginning of chapter five, uh, verse thirteen, it says that yet all of this do- does not satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Uh, Mordecai had everything. He had no, sorry, Haman had everything. He had everything that he needed in life. He had the wealth. He had the kids. He had the status. And now he has this, you know, the king. But he could not be satisfied. And it's crazy to think that if he was actually content, he would have gotten his way. If he was just satisfied for just a moment, he would have been able to exterminate the Jews. But even the, but even in his uh, wickedness, the Lord was able to use it to deliver the Jews. Um, but then uh, we understand the human responsibility. We want to. We don't want to be like Haman, who's always discontent or not satisfied. Rather, we want to be someone that is content. Uh, someone's always satisfied with all that we have. Uh, Mordecai wanted more. He, he wanted more things in his life. He wanted more recognition. And really, right? He he already said earlier that he was promoted to above all the kings and. Uh, serve all the king's princes and servants and everything. Um, he, and the king magnified his work and all of these things. But he it was just one person. Uh, and, I, and I feel that even if he got that, there would have been something else that would have deterred him. There's another something else that would have made him frustrated and not satisfied. Uh, because we understand a, the cure for discontentment is not more. You understand that having more doesn't make you content. Um, what, uh, and you look in your own life. What is it in your life that you want more of? Some of some of us want more friends. Some of us want more family, uh, a time or more money or more vacations or more entertainment or or whatever it may be a different lifestyle. We think that if we have more, that's what make us content. Um, when in reality, that doesn't. It's just it's a lie that we tell ourselves. Um, I read. I've been recommending this book to a lot of people. That it's a it's a Puritan book by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in that book, it talks about how if you want contentment, what you need is actually not more things, but less things. You learn to have you learn to subtract things from your life, uh, to take away from things. This isn't like you know, how one of the, I guess, our pop, popular uh, way of dealing with life is like, oh, we want to be a minimalist. Well, that's not actually what makes, that's not what, the like subtraction that the Puritans talk about is not having less, but being satisfied with what you have. Uh, uh, someone that's a minimalist may want another type of thing to make things more uh, efficient for them. And that's not contentment. Uh, that, that's just having less things, but you're not satisfied with the little that you have. Um, but as Christians, we're called to be content. Uh, Philippians 4, <clears throat> 4.11, this is a famous 
verse uh, by Paul when he was in prison. This is what he said. Not that I seek from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. This is something that Paul had to learn. He learned to be content. Um, First Timothy 6, um, I guess we can do 6, six where it says, uh, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Uh, jump down to verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And what's interesting in the Hebrew passage is like, it implies that the reason why people are not content uh, because they really are they're trusting in something that isn't of the Lord. They're not trusting who God is. And Hebrews 13, verse 6, so that we confidently say that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, this is why we need to trust that like discontentment and lacking of trust in the Lord go hand in hand. If you're never satisfied with what God has given you, you're always going to want more. You're always going to wish that you have more things. You're going to wish that you have uh, that lifestyle or this life stage. But having those things will never make you satisfied. Um, because our satisfaction, we're not made for the things of this world. We're made for something more. We're, we're called to be made to desire and to be and love Christ. Verse 14 of Esther, going back to Esther chapter 5, Esther gives them or not Esther, uh, his wife gives him this suggestion that um, you just, just kill him, just kill Mordecai, and then you'll be happy. Then go joyfully. And again, I don't even, like I said earlier, I, I highly doubt that even if he got his way at that moment, that he would be satisfied because there were always going to be someone else that's going to make him upset. He's going to find another reason to not be satisfied. May, not, may that not be to be a description of us. May we be known to be satisfied no matter what situation we're in, especially now in this quarantine state. Um, you have a home. You're quarantined at home. This is something that you should be thankful for because in other parts of the world, uh, this place, this, this term shelter in place or shelter at home, it implies that you're privileged. You're privileged. You're, you actually have a place to go that you can call your own, be sheltered, and be protected. Um, I think I was listening to the Albert Moeller's the briefing uh, when this coronavirus thing happened, and he said like when India had to do a shelter in place, they were really, literally like wherever you stand right now, you have to stay there. So if you imagine we're just having lunch, let's say if I had lunch with one of you guys at my house, and then the government said now you have to stay there, you're gonna have to live with me until all the thing is over. You know, like we get to be the comfort, being in the comfort of our own homes. We get to be with our family. We get to be with our friends. We get to be, we're in a safe environment overall. So we need to be thankful for those things. The cure for discontentment is not to have our circumstances changed, but rather we to be thankful for all the things the Lord has provided for us. And the chief of all things, if you're a Christian, is that you have salvation in Christ. And that should be the thing that makes you joyful for all of your life here on earth, um, that you don't deserve this life. You don't deserve eternal life. You don't deserve anything. But God has given, lavishly given all of these things to you so that you and I can enjoy life. So if you want to be used by God mightily, you have to be content. Think about it. The world always is seeking for this kind of peace that we have. Um, 
things that we should have and they can't find it in the world, but they look at our lifestyle, they see that, oh, we're content no matter where we're at. But what a powerful testimony that will be to those around us because it'll spark questions like, why are, why don't you want to elevate yourself? Why don't you want to have more money? Why don't you want to have this or that? And you can say with confidently that you have Christ. And that's all that you need in this life to be joyful and to be happy. Uh, that's Esther chapter 5. Uh, next week, we'll go to chapter 6. And uh, halfway through, uh, we're almost done with this book. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see how... <laughs> if you read through this book already, then you know what it tur- how it turns out. But it's going to be exciting as we go through and see what kind of lessons that we can draw from it. Okay, praying for you all. Take care.